Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Last year, we launched our course, The Data-Driven Classroom, and had hundreds of educators and clinicians take this course with consistently amazing feedback. I heard from so many teachers how this course really changed the way they approach data, how they were able to set up simple data systems, train their paras, and be collecting data to make data-based decisions within days of finishing the course. That feedback made me so happy. Now that course has been closed and unavailable since last year, but guess what? We are reopening the course, the data-based classroom, and I want you to be one of the first ones in. If data is something you have been struggling with for years, let's work on this together. Let me give you all of the tools to make this something that can consistently happen in your classroom. And guess what? Since you are a podcast listener, and I absolutely love my podcast listeners, I have an awesome code for you. When you use the code DATA100, you're going to get $100 off of the course bundle. Now, this code is only going to be usable until March 20th. So you only have one week to use this code, but Data 100 will get you $100 off of that course bundle. So that means for less than $200, you are getting the amazing data toolkit with literally hundreds of data sheets, all editable. And don't worry, I teach you how to edit it. And that entire data-driven course that touches on academic data, behavior data, staff training, and so much more. There's a link in the show notes with all of the information. Let's make this year the year that data really works. Hi, I'm Sasha Long, special ed teacher and board certified behavior analyst. Welcome to the Autism Helper Podcast. I'm here to explore different strategies to improve the lives of individuals with autism. Hey guys, today I'm chatting with Hallie Sherman. Hallie is a speech language pathologist in New York. She shares all of her great ideas from her speech therapy practice on her blog, Speech Time Fun, and her podcast, SLP Coffee Talk. Today we chat about the skill of making an inference. This is actually not really something we've covered on the podcast yet, and it's something that's so important. As Hallie and I talk about, it affects so many areas, social skills, academics, life skills, and Hallie shares some great tangible suggestions that you can do with even your youngest learners, because as she says, this is something you can start on right away. And what I love about her suggestions is they're all easy. You don't need something new. You don't have to laminate it. It's not complicated. And all of these suggestions can and should be used during distance learning. This is such an important skill, so I'm happy I got the opportunity to talk to her about this. So let's jump in. Hi, Hallie. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. So I'm going to jump right into our topic because I'm pretty excited about it. I think we've really not talked about this on my podcast yet, but today we're going to be talking about 
inferencing, which I know you spend a lot of time working with your clients and students on and spend a lot of time teaching other clinicians how to work on this skill. And I think because it's such a tricky one for teachers and for clinicians, it's so important. But before we get into like the how, can we like rewind a minute? Really, if someone's like, oh God, I don't really know what inferencing means or why this is important. Can you like lay the foundation? What does it mean to make an inference? And why is this skill so important for so many of our kids? Sure. So it's really taking what is not explicitly there and making our students be aware of it in order to answer comprehension questions and be able to um, navigate social situations. That's why it's so important for our students. Not more. Yes, it's important in the classroom and they're expected based on common core and all that fun stuff to be able to use this skill. Um, but it's taking it beyond those basic WH questions. When they're younger, when we're working with them, we're drilling those WH questions. Where is this? Where is that? You know, who is the main character? And then it's taking it from there. But if our students don't even understand how to read their environment around them, understand body language, understand what is not like what is intended but not explicitly stated, they're going to struggle globally, not just in the classroom. They're going to struggle on the playground. They're going to struggle at a birthday party to understand what is going on. So it is really so important for us to teach them how to read between the lines you know, in conversational speech, understanding the body language, understand slang and um, what is not to be just right there in front of them said. Um, it's that underlying meaning of, of things. And it's taking something that is implicit and making it explicit um, and making it clear and obvious to them by showing them some clues and hints. So it's really t- breaking it down for them so that they can be successful in whatever situation they're in. And that's something that sometimes we just kind of forget to teach. We assume like kids pick that up from osmosis or something. Exactly, exactly. Um, So, you know, thinking about just what naturally how children develop, that's really a great way to decide where to start is like, okay, you know, what are some things that children just pick up and when do they pick up on these things and go gradually through those um, skills and milestones. Yeah, that's a great point that you mentioned, like where to start. Because as you were explaining, you know, why inferences are important, I can picture like teachers being like, yes, my kids, that is, that is my child. They struggle with like social skills and those high, higher level thinking questions. They need all of it. But obviously you can't teach all of it at once. How do you figure out, you know, based on the age level and skill level of a child, really where do you start with this? I find that you really have to look at each child individually and say, okay, where are they breaking down? What skills did they not develop, you know, moving across the gamut? Like I think about, okay, think about a three-year-old. You're playing like some of those, like I'm even playing with it with my my almost two-year-old, you know, moo, what animal made that sound? I didn't say it. It wasn't explicitly stated. She had to use the clues of my sound and knowing I said the word animal, that it's going to be an animal sound that makes the moo sound. So thinking about skills like that, just those basic guessing games, um, can they do that? Can they look at a picture and answer a question? It doesn't always have to be about reading. Can they look at, at your facial expression? Do they understand how you're feeling? Think about the emotions. It's all those different things and, and trial and error, seeing where they break down and then determining how to tackle it? How do I teach it, teach it differently? They didn't mm-hmm. develop it naturally. So how can I teach it? That I like that you brought up an example with like your own child and a toddler. Cause I, I think some people might hear, you know, 
you know, skill of making inferences. That sounds like something we just do with reading. Well, my ch- student's not reading yet, so we don't have to worry about that. But this is something you can be working on really with all learners, right? Mm-hmm. Definitely. They all need to be, they need to be taught it. They're not, it's not being, they're not developing it naturally like we anticipate. So we need to teach things differently. Just like, you know, if we need, if I wanted to learn how to play soccer, I, I didn't develop it. So I need to be taught it differently than someone else who just grabbed a ball and knew how to kick it. So. Great. So we're in a weird time right now where we're not physically in the classroom. And I imagine, you know, obviously these activities are easier to work on within a classroom setting, but I'd love to chat about and hear some of your favorite activities and we can kind of span, you know, the, the age and skill levels here and some of your favorite activities that either work in or within the classroom or within distance learning. I think I love hearing your examples, so I'm sure everyone else will too. Um, on different activities to practice this skill that, you know, are approachable for a teacher, don't feel intimidating, but will be really engaging for some of our kids. Definitely those basic guessing games. Like if you're doing teletherapy or, you know, where Google meets or however you're interacting with your students, play a little guessing game, just basic emotions. Here is my expression. What do you think happened to me? Um, or give them a little scenario, you know, what, how might I feel in this situation? And it's, and, to, and it's teaching them explicitly, okay, so what do you know about it? And I like to use like a graphic organizer, sentence strips to teach them, okay, I see this, I know this, I'm going to make a smart guess now. So, and, and, I, and it's all about not just giving them that strategy, but also modeling it, practicing it, a lot of repetition. They're not going to get it necessarily right off the bat. But okay, so here's my expression. So what do you know about that? Okay, you see my eyes closed, you know, a little squinted. You see my face, my mouth in a frown. Let's go through all the different parts of my face to read each thing. Okay, so what do you know about a frown? Okay, I know if you frown when you are sad. I know your eyes are squinted when you might be crying or tired or what have you. So now let's make some guesses. Okay. Well, I don't see tears. So, okay. So she might not be sick. So you got to go through all the different steps and talk and and model for them. your thinking about your thinking. And it's really hard because sometimes, like you said, we just do these things innately. And I've really sat down and had to think about like, how do I think about my thinking? How do I teach it? I need, I need to break it down for myself and figure out what was involved in my thinking and that's, and I have to model it. And you can still do that over distance learning. You can show them a picture, Google images. Here's a picture. Here's a scenario. Tell them, a, make up a story about what happened over your weekend and have them guess, you know, what you might've done. Like a lot of times, like I, you know, let's, let's play a little guessing game. Okay. Where, where did I go? I, I mean, we, we're not really going very far, but um, <laughs> <laughs> there was grass. There was outside and there was a ball. Probably it was my backyard because I didn't really go further, right? So you can go through all the d- different steps of any basic guessing game can teach them how to think about their thinking and make those those guesses, those educated guesses. And I love that an activity as simple as that is still common core aligned. This mm-hmm. is still academic, you know, and it's but it's something that's probably engaging for a lot of our kids because it's fun. It's a conversation. It's a game. Exactly. And we can give them that conversational script as well. So like using a sentence strip. So I think I know this because it's something as simple as that. And it's also teaching them how to answer like a why question as well. So you're getting a little, little bit of everything in there. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. 
that crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. So with our, with our younger kids, when with maybe, and I know this is going to be like the first question on a lot of teachers' minds, young, younger kids and older kids that maybe have limited verbal skills, you know, it's hard sometimes to wrap our heads around what this looks like for these learners. What are some things we can do with our kids that either have limited language or are nonverbal to still work on, on these skills? Because they're still important for them too. I mean, you can give them visual choices. So even like coming up with, okay, so these are the things I see. I see this. I see that. You can give them the choices. Give them, a, um, you know, a communication board with the answers that they can pick from. Okay. And it's tapping into that background knowledge. Okay. I know this. Give them that sentence and make it as visual as possible so that something that is, isn't so tangible is more tangible. Yeah. I love that. I like the, I like the idea of the sentence strip a lot because it's giving them kind of that script and routine for how they should frame their thinking too, which is what a lot of our kids, especially on the spectrum, struggle with on like how to focus up, you know, where their thoughts need to be. And we have to be not be afraid to model. If we're going to be asking them to use a sentence strip, we need to be using that sentence strip. We need to be modeling how they should be communicating with these visual aids as well. So as you're modeling for them, you're thinking about, you're thinking you're using the same visuals and strategies you're asking them to do. Yes. So important. I, so often I, I see, you know, teachers and clinicians print all these visuals and we kind of expect them to be like a magic wand. We're like, here, here's the visual. And you're like, no, 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 you have to teach how to use the visual. Exactly. I would say like, if I can give them a visual or give them a graphic organizer, give them a sentence strip and then they could be successful. I'd be out of a job. Like, yeah, that's true. <laughs> they <wouldn't need> <laughs> like, like there wouldn't be anyone needing any assistance because everyone would just be handing these things over. Um, yeah. The reason why, you know, just basic like RTI strategies wasn't working. They need that independent, individualized instruction. Yeah. And I like that you mentioned that repetition is so important because this, this is really teaching a concept. This isn't rote memorization. Like you can't memorize every inferential situation that's there is possible. You have to learn how to apply the concepts to different situations, which in doing that, you're going to have to plan for that like range of exemplars. Exactly. Exactly. And some students are going to catch on much faster. Some students are going to take a little bit slower. And especially if you're working in a group setting, you have to be okay with adapting. Maybe one student is only on a picture level and still using that sentence strip and using visual choices to answer. And then the next one is you're fading the, the, the visual choices and they're answering on their own and being okay with adapting and changing it up for each individual individual. So let's talk about this skill in a little bit of a different way. You mentioned at the start, you know, the implications with social skills. What are some of the biggest struggles you see with your students on the spectrum with how a lack of being able to make inferences affects, you know, their ability to have friends and participate in inclusion activities and things like that? A lot of it is that unspoken language. Maybe a facial expression, they're not realizing that maybe that was sarcasm and it was a joke. It wasn't meant to be real. And now they're offended or maybe they offended someone else because that other person is even understanding this perspective taking of someone else. So it, it goes two ways. Um, just 
everything is that's not explicitly. Yeah, I mean, really, right? Everything, yeah. all the social they're skills are. Literal, they're just our student. They're social literal learners, and they just expect everything to just be right there in front of them. And sometimes it isn't, and they can easily be confused. So, social skills are so complicated, anyways, and they're not. You know, with everything we're talking about, it is that between the lines kind of thing. Like, as you were talking about that, I I think back to a conversation I had with my mom yesterday about Facebook. So she goes on Facebook and she comments on like every like news reporter's stories. And, and I'm like, mom, do you know everyone can see that you're doing that? Like, that's like a social no-no. And mm-hmm. she's like, why? Why is that weird? And I'm like, I, I don't know. It just is. Like, I couldn't explain why that behavior wasn't normal, you know, typical on Facebook. But it's like a lot of those things like that you have to, like you said, think through, well, how, why do I think this is unexpected? And how can I teach that? Mm-hmm. Think about our students, though, but they struggle when a routine is changed. Like, think about what's going on right now, or when there's a fire drill and everything's thrown off. So we need to be able to teach them as best as possible to read between the lines and to look for clues. Okay. So, you know, let they might've said, um, I don't want to play a game, but there's a smile on their face. So what does that smile tell us? You know, and let's look at some clues that are maybe not necessarily the message that was stated um, and, and teaching them to look beyond just the verbal expression they heard. So for social skills instruction in this area, do you do a lot of like role play and things like that? I do a lot of role playing. I do a lot of breaking up just body language and I'll do teach, you know, posture and facial expressions and different hand gestures and show different, use different storybooks and use Google images and, you know, role playing on myself. You know, what does this mean? What does that mean? What do you, what do we know? Where was I? What did I just say? What, what are some other clues that can help figure, help you figure out what does when my arms are crossed and, you know, I'm looking at my watch. What do you think that means? Okay. Maybe mm-hmm. someone's late. Uh, just using some just different um, and breaking it down and teaching it explicitly. Like, okay, so these are different expressions and things I can make with my hands. This is different facial expressions. These are different posture uh, things that, and what it means and what it could imply Um, and teaching it just very, very broken down as much as possible. Love that. And, you know, thinking about then as we kind of work in those small groups or one-on-one, how do you have success then, you know, generalizing that to their peers and the, you know, the rest of the classroom and kind of then, you know, kind of practicing what they've learned with you out on the real world, you know, on on the road kind of thing. Just repetition and, you know, and making it relevant to their world. So, okay, we just, for the last 30 minutes talked about, you know, body posture and what it can mean. Okay. While we're walking back to the classroom, uh, let's, you know, review and then, and then have the teacher and like, let's tell your teacher what we just talked about. And this way she can carry it over. He can carry it over. And it's not just so isolated in my speech therapy room. And and there's just a lot of repetition and making people aware, like, Oh, we walked into the room. Oh, so-and-so has her arms closed. What do you think that means? Like we just went over it and just keep on drilling it and, and review and, and taking out books, showing videos, doing role playing and keep undermining them and making them aware. Just, just yes, that team approach is like so essential because if, if not everyone's on the same page, you know, you're just not going to have as much success as you'd like. Exactly. Exactly. And, and also it's being, ha- having other educators working with these students, being just aware of those different skills and strategies and terminologies that we're using and the sentence strips and visual aids and, and the prompting and cueing that we're doing, having everyone on board will help, you know, 
in the long run. So with this skill related to reading, with our emerging readers, when do we start to kind of work on those higher level skills related to comprehending a text? Technically should always, don't be afraid to always be working on it. Even when, you know, you might not be answering those, asking those higher level thinking questions based maybe on the text, but Let's look at their facial expressions of the characters. Let's let's always always try to prompt and model, even if you're not necessarily asking them to do it. Always be modeling like some higher level thinking about what they're reading, what they're looking at. Um, even from the younger grades, they are expected to do it. So, you know, why not? Like, even my own kindergartner is is coming home and and I hear her, especially on her little Zoom calls. Like, I predict, I think this, I agree, I disagree. They're having little debates about what they think the character is going to feel or do or make predictions. And that's something simple that you can easily do and, and build that into the routine of a reading activity. Yeah, that's great advice. Because then if you just kind of bust that out a year later or once you're further along, then it's going to be really novel at that point. Exactly. Like just the constant exposure, whether or not you expect them to be successful is one thing, but just making them aware of it and showing them that terminology. Oh, you know, and, and just modeling for them. Oh, I see, you know, uh, Goldilocks has, is running. I think she's running away from the bears. Like just model your thinking about your thinking constantly and, and showing them and maybe asking them to repeat it or ask them to maybe go into more details, you know, have them pull out the the evidence to, about your thinking and have them agree and disagree and have little debates and constantly have that conversation. And it's hard. I remember, you know, with with clients and with former students with autism with that are readers, that was like always the stumbling block we had. And I, I for a while had quite a bit on my caseload of students that were far more fluent readers than their comprehension level dictated. And it was because of all these things you're talking about. Like they still struggled with making predictions with, you know, with anything that wasn't explicitly in the text. And, and that was hard because I felt like, I don't know why I felt like I was like holding them back by keeping them at a certain level, but I knew we needed that skill. They weren't understanding the text that those comprehension questions get really difficult pretty quickly as you go through some of the reading levels. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Especially those fictional texts where the characters have emotions and our students are, you know, with, with social language difficulties are going to struggle with that even more. Yeah. So being able to predict how a character is feeling and how the character can be feeling different than their own. So working on that perspective taking also is so important. And I kept thinking like, okay, well, the student is struggling with perspective taking just in general, like Mm -hmm. in life. How am I now expecting them to demonstrate that skill in related to reading a text, which is way harder and combining two different skills? Mm -hmm. And it's hard. And that's when it's breaking it down and making a visual and giving those cues. And I I love to use graphic organizers and picture cues and any trick I have up my sleeve to try to take something that is so not right there in front of them and something so implicit, making it explicit as much as possible. Yeah. And that you would see how that repetition would really, and the the tools that you're talking about can really be beneficial. And then I have to ask this because I just can't help myself. What is your advice on, on taking data on this? Because I see with with skills and behaviors that aren't so like specific or straightforward, a lot of teachers struggle with the data component because it gets complicated really quickly. And then a lot of times when things are complicated too quickly, we're just like, meh, I'm not going to deal with it. So what's your advice on collecting data on these skills? 
my advice is to really not just them answering a question. It's what are you really trying to get them to do? Is it to get them to look at the evidence? Is it to utilize a sentence strip? Is it to be aware of their thinking about their thinking? Think about more the like broken down goal, not the overall goal, not that annual goal that you're trying to work on. Like what is your objective in the moment? And that is what you're assessing on. And that's what you're going to collect data on before you move on to the next objective. So being truly understanding of what specific skill you're working on and how you are breaking it down for them, whether it's, okay, I just want them to understand body language. Who cares Mm -hmm. if they get the question right? Yes, we want to know that. But like, are they understanding body language? Are they under able to and maybe they're not able to just name, the, you know, what a body language means. Maybe it's just becoming aware of it. Mm-hmm. And you have to really figure out what exact skill you're expecting them to do. And it might be, you know, you get, yes, you could do rubrics and this and that. I like when I'm collecting data, it's not so much like the tally marks. It's really more of like, what did they do and what didn't they do and why? Mm-hmm. And I like to look at that more of the anecdotal data than the, the tally marks for me. Do you just write that down right after your session, like right after you complete a session so it's fresh in your head? Or how do you approach that? that I, typically, I, I always have like post-it notes and tons of scrap next to me at all times. But uh-huh. it, but yes, for the majority, it's like as they're walking out the door, I'm jotting it down before I forget because I will forget. Yeah. <laughs> Every I mean, life happens. The next group comes in it's crazy, but it's, I try to remember like, why did they struggle? Okay. So they were able to answer this, but they weren't able to answer this. And that will help me plan my next session. Where should I go from here? If maybe they didn't grasp it, why, where where were they stumbling upon that? I need to do a step back the next time. Yeah. And then when, you know, people want to know where your data driven instruction is, you're like right here. See, (laughs) like, I know there's no tallies, but I swear this is more important. Yeah, this it is. That's going to be what sometimes helps drive your, you know, your instruction moving, moving to the next lesson and moving to the next weeks. Like I don't, I'm okay with if I had two trials, but I got so much more out of it. Yeah, that's, that's good advice. Cause I think, you know, sometimes we get nervous to do that. We're like, well, wait, I need 10 trials or I need this because it says this, but did you learn anything about the child? Like, that's what you want to know. Like if I'm doing trial and error, that's not necessarily worth taking data for. Like, like, but I'd rather know, okay, oh, now I know where to start for the next time. And I have this, this is more important for me than 10 trials of something that they can't do. Yeah. Awesome. Oh my gosh. I could chat with you about this forever. I love all your little examples. <laughs> uh, well, thank you so much. I know, I know a lot of people don't agree with that on my, but that's my, <laughs> my, my belief. And I, it's what has helped me plan my sessions more effectively than making sure I have enough trials. Because, you know, I think sometimes when, especially a data component becomes too overwhelming, we just avoid then that, that whole skill, like teaching it. And if that's going to if that's going to be the obstacle, if you're like just going to avoid teaching an essential skill because you don't know how to take data on it the perfect way, that, I mean, you're, it's going to do such a disservice to that child. So whatever system works, that's great. You know, as long as you're focusing on like, you know, as we talked about how important this skill is and really getting that in on a regular basis, that's all that's really important. Exactly, exactly. So where can people go to hear more about all of this, these great examples and, and more from, from you? Sure. I have tons of therapy ideas on working on inferencing and social inferencing and using games and using what you have to make things work on my blog at speechtimefun.com. I'm also on Teachers Pay Teachers at shopspeechtimefun.com. And I'm on Instagram, Facebook, um, 
at Speech Time Fun. And I also have my own podcast, SLP Coffee Talk, which you can, I'm always sharing quick ideas and inspiration um, to keep you going when times get tough. <laughs> Perfect. Well, thank you so much. And I love how all of these ideas that you shared can be done during distance learning. Because originally, when we talked about this topic, I was like, you know, how, how do we work on this? you know, remotely, but everything you've mentioned, you can do via a Zoom call or a pre-recorded video. It doesn't have to be pretty to be effective. That's true. Great advice. Well, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Bye. Bye. Did you know that two out of three teachers turn to Teachers Pay Teachers for educational resources? As a seller on TPT, this makes me so excited. I love seeing educators turn to other educators for support in their classrooms. There are so many great resources on Teachers Pay Teachers. And this could be made even better if we could involve school budgets in this process. Enter TPT for Schools. TPT for Schools makes it easy for administrators and teachers to collaborate when making curricular decisions. TPT helps you set up a way of using school funds for these resources. This is a new program and there's already over 5,000 schools registered. In the special ed world, this is even more important because we don't have that many resources and the resources that are provided for us might not be so appropriate for our class. To learn more about TPT for Schools, visit schools.teacherspayteachers.com. Thanks for listening to the Autism Helper podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to hear more, hit subscribe. It would mean a lot to me if you left some feedback. Whether I'm working one-on-one -on -one with a student, doing a podcast like this one, or presenting for a PD, my goal is always to provide as much value as I can. So your feedback really helps me make sure I'm doing just that. If you have other topics you'd like me to cover, leave in the feedback or message me on social media. You can follow me at The Autism Helper on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Pinterest, or visit my website, theautismhelper.com. Thanks again for listening. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Having the right resources for your classroom is essential to making sure your classroom is running smoothly. At the Autism Helper Shop, we have all of the resources you need to make sure you have the behavior, communication, and curriculum supports for your students. Within our shop, we have adapted books, task cards, resources aligned to the VB map and the ABLES, behavior plan flowcharts, data sheets, curriculum. Everything you need, whether you are an early childhood teacher or a high school teacher, we have all of the resources that will meet those students' needs. So head over to shop.theautismhelper.com to check out all of our resources.